The Lead Story is proudly brought to you by Alex Forbes. Alex Forbes, insight, advice, impact. Welcome to the Business Report. And uh, as uh, has become tradition here on the Business Report, a, um, a view on the budget. And uh, what we saw happening yesterday was the Finance and Public um, Enterprises Minister, Pumbushimi, revealed Namibia's largest ever annual budget, uh, detailing a projected government spending of around $100 billion Namibia dollars. Uh, for the 2024-2025 financial year. Now, very little of what happens in that speech. I'm in a position to understand, so we pull in people that do. And uh, I'll introduce our panel. Um, uh, firstly, uh, is uh, F&B Namibia economist Rusa Nandago. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Angelique Bock, research analyst at IJG. Thank you, Gary. And the man with the eyebrows, Robert McGregor from Cirrus Capital Economist at uh, Cirrus. I'll, uh, I'll pretend I know what I'm talking about this time. Brilliant. <laughs> that would be good. I'm sure you guys have had a fun evening trying to digest and prepare reports and newsletters and all the things that go out. And everyone expects you the next day to understand everything that happened in the budget. So uh, we'll forgive you if, uh, if you're a little bit tired. It is radio, so you can yawn and no one will notice. <laughs> all right. Let's just perhaps start out. Um, with uh, sort of first impressions on what came out. Often the the taking a two steps back on the budget gives us some idea of what government's thinking and what they're sort of trying to set up and plan. We saw a couple of unexpected moves um, in, in, in the speech. Um, certainly from a business perspective, there'll be a couple of guys sitting around boardroom tables this morning trying to figure out some new plans. Um, so, Rousseau, let's perhaps just start with you. First impressions on the budget. Yeah, my first impressions on the budget is it's quite a good budget uh, in my or re- a relatively good budget. Um, one of the the better budgets we've seen, um, at least in my my working career. Um, it was good to see a lot of tax policy reform measures coming through um, with with actual deeds being announced. I think in previous budgets, um, the minister would sort of typically announce what they intend to do with no specific timelines, no specific values, etc. So I think it just gives a little bit more confidence to have those timelines and when the, the tax policy reforms will come into effect. Of course, as we expected on the expenditure side, given that it's an election year, we did see, I guess you can call it Maybe not stimulus spending, but some sort of relief um, relief spending from the government on the social grant side. Although one might argue, probably not not as much as we'd like uh, to have. Um, strong emphasis on the importance of increased development expenditure as well, um, growth enhancing side of the budget. Um, so generally, I think it was quite a quite a good budget with quite a positive tone um, as well. And I think the budget reflects, I think, the technical capacity um, in the Ministry of Finance that that they've been trying to build over the past two years or so. Angelique Bok, are you as happy with it? I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with what Rusa has said so far. And something that I just want to add on is that they, they've actually shown that they're planning to manage debt going forward. So they've a- allocated a certain amount from soccer receipts to the euro bond that's about to mature next year. So that to me was one positive that really stood out. And also the management of debt, debt to GDP ratio. So um, we finally get, we finally reached a, a point of 60%, right? And and that's that's below the, or well, on par with the emerging market threshold um, of debt sustainability level. So, I mean, going forward, that that's really positive going forward. And um, um but obviously, that's off of the back of higher GDP and not so much lower debt. Robert, does the minister get an A plus? Um, well, I'm I'm not going to grade, but uh, generally happy with the budget. Um, I think you know a whole lot of tax changes that came through, and you can see what's happened now that there's sort of a functional tax policy unit in there. I think on a lot of the tax changes um, or proposals. 
Um, the first thing is, again, we've got these proposals coming through. We've got dates, but I want to see it in the Income Tax Amendment Act. Um, that's really the where the juice is for us. And then on some of the policy changes, some are good, some we disagree with um, quite substantially. Um, the incentives that we're creating and, and, and uh, sort of driving going forward, um, very positive on the development budget, big increase there, um, big base going forward. Hopefully we commit to that. We don't just see it cut down in the midterm budget again. Um, but overall, uh, things are looking much better. We're sitting in a much better position than we have for a long time. All right. So let's perhaps just start out with projections, Rusa. If we look at uh, uh, GDP growth projection, 5.6% um, for, for the year gone past, moderating to 4 and then 3.9%. That seems on the face of it to, to be flying in the face of the numbers we're seeing, which are in the high 7s and 8s percents. What, uh, do, do we think they're just hedging their bets? <laughs> I think the ministry tries or they intend to be quite conservative um, with their forecasts. Um, but I think one thing we must also consider is that the oil and gas exploration numbers have been incorporated into the historical GDP numbers. And you will probably see some base effects there as well, given that it's coming from, from a high base. Um, and of course, there are still downside risks um, in the economy. If you look at sort of outside the non-mining sector, um, that, that growth is still quite weak. Um, if you look at your consumption growth, for example, even our import growth was also quite weak. Um, so I think the, the forecast are, are, yeah, sort of on par with with what the market um, is expecting, and I don't expect them necessarily to be um, much higher than that. Robert, this could be classified potentially as a tax budget. There's been quite a lot of reforms over the last few years. There's been hints of further reforms to come. Um, often, some of them regarded as a little bit draconian from from a kind of a free enterprise perspective. Um, certainly, the the, the the dropping of the corporate rate would be treated as uh, as good news for most people in business. Um, but it's being balanced and it almost feels like there's a couple of loopholes, what we would regard loopholes from a competitiveness perspective, perhaps being closed. Just t- talk to us a second about that because that balancing act might wind up being a little bit counterproductive potentially. Yeah, so I mean, um, looking at sort of the domestic tax revenues, obviously very positive moves on the personal income tax adjustments, you know, increasing the threshold this year, moving every bracket up around 50,000 uh, dollars per annum positive move and then we'll get the inflation adjustments coming through next year. I think the ministry felt it was too much of a hit to do it all at once. Um, on sort of the stuff relating to company tax and similar, I mean, there's a lot to digest this year. Um, I think the positive moves are seeing those commitments to having the corporate tax rate being reduced over the next couple of years down to 28%, which puts us sort of in the region where, or sort of within the range of most of the region. Um, However, you know, the thing that we need to consider is with the introduction of the dividend tax, I don't think per se it's a bad thing. I just think the the way in which we're doing this, we need to just, you know, double check our numbers because um, effectively, you know, you could see an effective tax rate now of over 35%, um, even with the corporate tax rate at 28% and now there's 10% dividend withholding tax. And what we should be trying to do with tax policy is craft the right incentives. Uh, you know, the tax policy isn't just there to draw revenues um, from the private sector. We also need to be incentivizing the right behavior. And so in our view, um, very much, you know, in- introduce a dividend uh, tax. I think it's a, it's the correct move, tax that when it becomes an income. But make sure that you're creating the right incentives by reducing the corporate income tax well enough. In my view, the, the uh, corporate income tax is generally regressive. Lower that, get businesses to reinvest, to grow the companies, to employ more people, to do wage adjustments, tax them very little on those profits so that they do that. But then when they try and take that out of the company as dividends or as uh, as, as income for individuals, that's when you tax it. 
when you talk about um, incentivizing actions, it also seems like there's been a disincentivization for companies to incur new debt. The benefits of debt are often that they become deductible against future earnings. They've li- they've capped that and limited that. Is that something of concern for the guys who actually lend money out? I think I think that will uh, drive a lot of reconsiderations around using debt in country, and that al- uh, along with the uh, cap on uh, deductibility of tax losses. So uh, I think there's a lot of pressure um, uh, as part of treaties that Namibia um, is a member to uh, to sort of not have those run in, pep- in perpetuity. Um, but I think you know this will come as a reconsideration, or will drive a reconsideration for for many businesses as to what to do going forward, or whether Namibia, um, you know, really offers the best incentives given now sort of the relatively high effective tax rate, along with with these tax changes to businesses. Angelique, let's turn now to to where the money is going to be spent. Nine hundred and seventy million Namibia dollars set aside for the Ministry of Education, Arts, and Culture for the construction and renovation of classrooms and other school infrastructure. I'm sure most people will be welcoming the fact that the government's waking up to the fact there's more children and there's more coming and they need to go to school. Yeah, that's that's right. We, like Robert has said earlier, we have seen a bigger de- development budget and um, obviously operational budget as well as we did see that the overall um, expenditure amount did increase. And I mean, that's that's to an extent, it's good and bad. So expenditure is higher or did grow at a higher rate than revenue. But I mean, these are all going towards things that it should be going to, in my opinion. So um, we're seeing that schools are being built, there's there's in infrastructure being built as well, um, more money being put into railway. And even if we look at the transport budget, majority of it is just developmental. So that's very positive going forward as well. And I mean... <clears throat> Um, the the rest of the budget allocation is as normal going forward. I think the biggest difference for me was the transport. I think just uh, to touch on the education side, I mean, it's great to see that development budget finally coming through there. Um, but I think there are a lot of fundamental issues still within um, our education spending. I mean, it's one of the largest uh, recipients within the budget. And a lot of that goes towards just salaries and wages. And I think um, it's not necessarily that we don't have enough schools. I think it's the way that it's structured has become quite an issue where we have lots of small schools in outlying rural areas. Those draw high fixed costs. They need principals, they need teachers, they need their own infrastructure as a, uh, and, and you cater to uh, lots of schools with a handful of students across many grades. I don't think it's necessarily the most efficient way to go. I think, you know, there need to be some some thoughts around maybe do we create larger schools with hostels and similar and ensure those are in good condition and bring down those those unit costs effectively for education, um, ensuring that we get better, you know, bang for our buck on education, which is has been, I mean, for a long time, one of the largest recipients of, of our budget. The way you're phrasing that doesn't seem to indicate you think that's what's going to happen. Okay. So let's turn to, to households. Uh, uh, the citizens look at uh, the budget and go, how does this impact me? They Tax brackets have been adjusted, so most notably a, a doubling of the threshold bracket for payment of tax from fifty to one hundred thousand. Um, I mean, the net effect is this puts money in people's pockets. What do we think they're going to do with it? Sure, <laughs> I guess it depends on, on on the individual, but yeah, generally we'll probably see a little bit more of consumption spending um, in the economy, uh, given this relief that has provided that has been provided along with the slight increase in welfare expenditure. 
Um, so typically what, not typically what we see, but what we've seen over the last two years is that we also see an increase in, unfortunately, micro-lending, uh, unsecured type of credit uptake. Um, so we'll probably see uh, a little bit of expenditure expenditure on that side. Um, but with regards to the specifics as to what they spend on, one wouldn't know. But but we do expect that we'll probably start to see it in the, in the micro-lending um, numbers as well. I guess what policy is hoping is this gets spent on school fees and food and doesn't get spent on luxury items through retailers that offer credit. <laughs> that would be ideal. Um, but even with the relief, one must still keep in mind that um, consumers are still in a difficult position, highly indebted, um, not enough wage growth, um, uh, or not sufficiently um, above inflation, very weak employment prospects. So they are still under pressure despite this relief. Have we calculated what this actually means to someone earning $100,000 a year, the net impact on their household? Look, the, the, the increases aren't massive, but again, it's a little bit. Um, I think what's also um, a big consideration is government's also doing that 5% wage adjustment. So government is the single largest employer. They employ, I mean, again, we finally got some uh, employment numbers in this budget for the first time in a long time. Um, and while it wasn't uh, complete, uh, we estimate government still has around 110,000 employees in, in that range. So a lot of them will sit in that 50 to 100,000 range. They're getting a 5% or $600 a month increase, plus now not paying tax. Um, and I think it's not just the benefit to those households having a bit more of their own money to spend how they see fit. There's also a massive efficiency gain for the revenue agency because they're stuck auditing a lot of these uh, tax returns down there where, I mean, you know, they, they aren't making their money back on those audits. They can focus, you know, their time and energy where it's better spent on the larger numbers. Um, you know, and you don't have people sitting with a, you know, $500 or $20 uh, uh, tax return that they're owed by NAMRA for, you know, five, 10 years. Angelique, that uh, segues nicely into the next uh, adjustment which was made, which seemed to, that government's starting to listen to what small business is saying and make it simpler for people to do things, and that's the uh, tax, the, the VAT tax threshold for registration, the mandatory registration from 500 to a million. Does that make a difference? I, I think it should. <clears throat> I think it should, given all of the small businesses that, that we have in our country that are still about to grow. But I think for larger businesses, obviously, this has no impact on them, and we know that they are basically the growth drivers in the country. So, and um, yeah, I, I think the, the difference might be minimal. And what we have seen is we've seen a, a massive compliance burdens being loaded onto companies over the last five or six years. And obviously, small companies have almost no capacity to deal with that. So perhaps this makes a difference just from an effort perspective to either start a business or have a small business that doesn't have to do VAT returns the whole time or doesn't have to register. I mean, does is is this the, these policies sound nice and those numbers sound good, but does it actually achieve anything? I mean, in the bigger scheme of things, probably not. Yeah. Old age uh, grants and disability grants have been increased. We we mentioned that in the opening. It stands from $1,400 to $1,600 per month. That's effective from the 1st of April. Um, we've heard numbers being bandied about in prior times that 3000 is sort of the threshold. So we always face the risk when we have a blended economy with socialist policies and capitalist policies taking place that we also don't want to create disincentives for people to be able to take control of their own future. So, Rusa, let's perhaps just start with you. Uh, positive that there's a small increase? 
Yeah, I think it's quite positive, um, especially if you look at the Namibian context where we have quite a high dependency ratio. So although it's an old categorized as an old age grant, you will find that um, in rural areas, for example, there are a number of people relying on that grant. Um, so I think it's it's, it's definitely um, a positive development. And again, the, the numbers aren't large, right? <laughs> so um, yeah, I think it will, at the margin, help the individuals who are recipients of this um, without having that bigger knock-on effect on the entire budget. So I definitely welcome um, this old age grant increase. Taking a look at numbers in isolation is always risky because that looks like a 15 or 18 percent increase, which seems above inflation. But we know food inflation has been running between 30 and 40 percent. We also know that old age grants, I mean, our population dynamics are a pyramid, right? So people who get old age grants, there aren't enormous numbers of them. Yet. Yet. <laughs> in 50 years' time, Rob, will be there. Uh, the point I'm trying to get to is, is that why do we think government isn't aggressively dealing with old age grants specifically, given that the quantum would be quite small, but the impact enormous? Look, I think, um, firstly, we're still running deficits. So, you know, you need to consider the, the position that we're still borrowing money to fund our all of our expenditure. Um, at this stage, we're running primary surpluses, so we're not borrowing money to help service interest costs as well. So that's a massive step forward and that's encouraging. I, I think the old age grant has been a roaring success. I think it's been a great move. Um, it's helped reduce poverty, not just amongst older people within the country, but also amongst uh, children, um, given you know a lot of the, the dynamics in, in the country where you've got young kids sitting with with the grandparents elsewhere in the country. And so I think the, the old age grant is probably you know one of the best things we've done from a social safety net perspective. We do need to balance that with trying to get it to grow too quickly. And remember, if we increase it to 3,000 now, 5,000 now, whatever level that is now, um, it's very difficult to scale that back five, 10 years down the line when you've got more and more and more and more people um, that will be drawing down on those because, as you mentioned, our, our, our population pyramid sits with a heavy base, but we will continue aging. Um, so, you know, I think with time, there will be a position, we'll be in a position where the budget looks a bit better. We can start doing a bit more there. We can craft a better social safety net. But now it's a very, very difficult balancing act. And I think we're, we're moving in the right direction there, especially with above inflation increases. Um, and I mean, you know, as a, as a lot, as, out of the entire budget, the old age grant isn't such a, isn't such a big draw. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very pro uh, sort of these, these grants. So let's perhaps just uh, start taking a view on things. We, from what I'm hearing from you, we're generally quite happy with the direction. The policy seems strong. Uh, perhaps on the on the tax element, there's some some issues that that we'll see work its way out. Um, but in the main, uh, it feels like a budget moving in the right direction. Um, was there something in the budget we hoped that the government would grapple with this time round that they didn't? I think I definitely have my wishes, um, but I <laughs> manage my expectations with regards to that. So generally, as I mentioned, a lot of reform, but a lot of the reform was on the revenue side, which is welcome. Um, but we also need to start looking at the expenditure side because I think the expenditure problem is the problem. Um, so I think in future budgets, I would like to see um, some of that reform move to the expenditure side. Um, if we look at your public enterprise reform, for example, um, if you look at uh, your uh, your um, public service medical aid scheme, etc., um, I think that was what was missing from from this budget. Um, although I didn't expect <laughs> that we'd see much much development there, but in future budgets, I'd like us to start focusing on on the expenditure side of the budget and not just the revenue side. Angelique, anything in this budget that wasn't dealt with that you felt quite disappointed that we hadn't grabbed the opportunity? 
I mean, um, honestly, I think the development budget has been quite a problem for myself personally in this in the budget. And uh, even though there's been a large improvement, I still think that there needs to be a lot more improvement going forward, um, just in our country to keep things going up upwards in the upward trajectory trajectory um, going forward. So I was a bit disappointed in the development side, but um, I will, I am pleased to see that there is movement going forward in that aspect. Robert? Look, I think we still have many policy issues. Um, I don't know if the budget and the Minister of Finance is the right person to address those. Um, you know, we still have a lot of uncertainty around stuff like uh, the Investment Promotion Facilitation Bill. NIF and similar, um, you know, all, all of these things that are still s- sitting on the wayside. And even if we're crafting, you know, a tax policy without any issues, these things still weigh. Um, and, you know, people talk about un- policy uncertainty being an issue, which it is, but so is certainty on bad policy. Um, and that's really where, you know, I'd like us to really get moving in the right direction. I mean, we sit with a, a massive unemployment uh, challenge in this country. Um, and as a as a consequence of that, we sit with these high levels of, of poverty and inequality. Now, there is no quick overnight fix, but I think what we really need to do is we need to accelerate this move into getting policy rights so that we allow our private sector you know, um, to, to address these challenges again. It's not overnight, but we get the private sector to start employing people more, um, pay more wages or higher wages as well, and start resolving those issues. And that includes some of these changes that we're starting to see filter through now, um, on reducing the uh, administration, the cost of doing business, especially for small businesses. Panelists, thank you. We're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for your thoughts. And uh, our panelists uh, t- uh, today, the uh, um, uh, economist from FMB Namibia, Rusan Andagu, Angelique Bok, research analyst at IJG, and uh, Robert McGregor from Cirrus Capital. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Gary. The lead story was proudly brought to you by Alex Forbes. Alex Forbes, insight, advice, impact.